Hello, and welcome to this episode of Criminal Mischief, the Art and Science of Crime Fiction. I'm D.P. Lyle. Today I want to talk about setting, and particularly setting as a character, and in further particular, setting as a character in crime fiction. Now, setting is important in all fiction, all types of writing, all types of storytelling. It kind of adds the flavor. It's the broth of the soup, if you will. It kind of sets the stage for everything that's going to happen and will alter everything that's going to happen as you go along. Um, can a story be set anywhere? Of course it can. Can your story be set anywhere? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on the story. But very often, the setting is what's critical to uh, underpinning the story, amplifying the story, making the story believable, making the story interesting. Some classic examples would be, can you imagine a James Lee Burke telling a Dave Robichaux story without it being set in Louisiana? There's no way. I mean, it's just the way it is. Sure, some were set in other areas, but Louisiana, and particularly the swap country of the Atchafalaya Basin, are in Dave's blood, and they are an integral part of his character, and they color everything he does, thinks, says, all, all the character. What about Linda Castillo, the Kate Burkholder series uh, that's set in Amish country? Has to be. Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch. Could it be anywhere but Los Angeles? Jaws. Had to be on an island. I mean, duh. You got a shark. It's eating people on the beach. It had to be on an island or at least a beachfront. But an island made it better because now you're isolated. You're surrounded by water. You can't just get in a car and drive you know, down the freeway and be in another state and get away from the shark. You're on an island. That setting added fear and creepiness to the story by a long shot. Okay? The Godfather. It had to be in New York. The Shining. It had to be in an isolated mountain town in a little hotel that's isolated from everything. Not a little hotel, a large hotel that's isolated from everyone in the middle of winter in a snowstorm. Uh, it had to be that way because the isolation of the characters in that story is what made it what it was. Star Wars, well, had to be in space. So what you're seeing is setting really has two parts. It's the where and the when. The where, we've kind of talked about the when. Are you writing about now? Are you writing about 100 years ago? Are you writing about 100 years in the future? All of that's part of the setting. The setting establishes the mood of the story. What's it going to be like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to smell like and taste like and all that stuff? So that means setting is not simply a description of where the scene is taking place. I mean, you can describe all the details, uh, every brick in the wall, if you will, how many steps there are up to the door, all of that kind of stuff. But is that really what you want to spend your time and effort writing about? Is that really what setting is? Now, setting is more of a feel for the location. Is what does this place feel like? So you don't have to spew out a bunch of minute details that become step by step, slowly he turned, that kind of thing. You want to get a feel for the place. Remember, most people know 
just about every setting you're going to create, at least on some level. They know what a bar looks like. They know what a grocery store looks like. They know what a park looks like. Uh, they know what a mountaintop cabin looks like. But what's different about this place? So you want to pick the two or three telling details that reveal what's different about this place. What does it feel like? Leave room for the reader's imagination. Remember, the reader and the writer are in a dance. It is a combination there. It's an interactive process. That's what makes books different than movies. Everybody seems the sees the same movie, but everybody reads a different book. So how do you do this? Well, description is visual. I mean, obviously, and that's a given. You're going to add that sense to your story. You're going to give some visual details. But what about including the other senses? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What tactile characteristics are present? Let's say your scene set in the Café du, du Monde in New Orleans, which I'll read something from one of my books in a little bit. Well, you want to incorporate the smell of the beignets and the chicory coffee and the sounds of the flatware against the plates. Maybe the clomping of the horses' hooves as they go by and the carriages that carry people around New Orleans so they can see. Let's say you're in a bar. Maybe you get the smell of beer and cigar smoke and the clacking of pool balls and, and the blasting of the jukebox and maybe the stickiness of spilt beer on the bar. You get the feeling? You don't have to describe the bar. We don't care if it's 20 feet long or 8 feet long. If it's sticky with beer, we got it. What if you're in a kennel and the yapping of the dogs and the order and the odor of the excrement that's there? Yeah, that'll work. In a library. Maybe it's the musty smell of the books and the coarseness of the papers as your character thumbs through a book and the muffled whispers of people in the background trying to keep the... Uh, the uh, librarian from coming over and smacking them with a ruler or something, and they're whispering. You, you get all of this stuff. So it's the telling detail. Now, how do you learn to do this? It's not easy, but it is easy. You know, don't overwrite it. Don't overtell it. I always tell students, here's what you do. You go into 10 places you've never been before. You know, it could be a a used car shop, it could be a, a library, it could be a bar, it could be a grocery store, it could be a park or a beach, it could be anywhere. And go in there and what are the first three or four things that hit you? Something visual, something tactile, something odorous. What are the three or four things that hit you first? Write them down. And then what are the next half a dozen things that hit you? Write those down. Those are the telling details. Those are the things that your character, when you use this setting in a story, are going to sense first, just like you did. It's going to give you an initial impression of what the place is, what it feels like, what it looks like, and what it is. And that's what really makes good setting as a character in the story. What does it feel like? Other considerations that you have to think about when you're when you're choosing a setting, and remember, it's your story, so you get to choose the whole thing. You know, you're you're the you're the overseer of the entire story. You're creating this. So, is your setting real or fictional? I mean, that's important. If you have a real setting, then you got to know real things about it. 
you got to know the names of streets and the names of restaurants and, and, and the names of hotels and the names of office buildings. you got to know if there's a coffee shop on the corner and a bar down the street. you got to know all this stuff. So you need to have been there or at least researched it enough that you know that. Now, it doesn't mean you can't add fictional places within real settings. I've done that many times in stories, particularly my Dub Walker series, which was set in Huntsville, my hometown. But I took liberties with what's what and where's where and created places that didn't really exist. Uh, but they were kind of based on places that really did exist. I just moved them for convenience and altered them to fit the story. Is your story set in an urban area or a rural area? Is the area, the city it's in, is it small or is it large? Is it Los Angeles or is it a tiny little town of a thousand people in the mountains somewhere? You see how all that changes how your story would be? Could your story be set somewhere else? You have to ask yourself that. Would it be a better story if it were? If you moved it to a big city or you moved it from the big city to a small town, if you moved it from an urban area to a rural area or vice versa, would this help the story? You have to decide that. But regardless, you have to know what is unique about your setting. You have to ask yourself, what is the protagonist, and also the antagonist, really, what's their relationship to this setting? Are they from there? Do they live there? Were they born and raised there? Have they been there their whole lives? Have they just moved there? Are they just passing through? Have they just visited there a few times so they know a little bit about it? Or is it totally foreign to them? Are they a stranger in a strange land? They know no one. They don't understand the rhythm of life there. They don't understand how things go. All of these things are great fodder for storytelling, but you have to decide which one fits your character, and that's important. As I said before, the visual is, is, is not simply a description, but you get, want to get a feel for the location. You want to add all of these things that make the setting deeper. And so the character who has never been to a place before would notice things that someone who had lived there their whole life wouldn't. Because the person who's lived there their whole life takes all this for granted. I mean, they grew up with it. They know what the department store, how it runs. They know who works there. They know the rhythm of the place. They know the smell of the place. They know what items they carry there and what things they don't. They know how to find what they're looking for. But a stranger doesn't. All of this is foreign. All of this is new. And, boy, that's good stuff. You can... Uh, you can really uh, impact your character by bringing them into a place that they've never been to before. It can even create a sense of, of terror. I mean, they can go go to a place that, you know, I would talk about The Shining. This couple goes there thinking, you know, that he's going to, you know, write a book and they're going to hang out in this hotel for the winter, you know, and have the whole run of the whole place to themselves. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, well, it turned out to be very uncool. And so that excitement, that, that, uh, that isolation, that feeling of, of power, of control, and you're, you own this big hotel, and wow, you know, you're a big shot, suddenly is an absolutely stark, raving, terror-filled story. Because, well, you're isolated, and you're in this huge, old, creepy hotel that has sounds and smells and, and feels and all these things that now become your enemy. Things that were fascinating and interesting before become your enemy. 
So this was a stranger in a strange land, especially for, you know, Jack's wife. I mean, good Lord. And uh, strange things happen. So the setting is important in that regard. Look at Jaws. You know, Brody hated, hated the water. He didn't like to get in the water. He was terrified of the water. And yet here he was on an island. I remember there was a famous thing. She said, how, how can a guy uh, who's afraid of water live on an island? He said, it's only an island if you're out on the water. You know, and that was his take on it. But guess what? Brody had to leave the safety of the island and go out into the water to solve the problem that faced him. And so the setting created a location and a place that added to his fear, his fear of water, his fear of going out on the water, his fear of confronting a shark. But he had to do it because it was his job. So... One of the things you can do to research places, besides going there, which is often the best, but not always, but, yet, but yeah, you go there and you get a feel for the place and you actually see the place and you understand the distances. I always think of Las Vegas when I do this, where if you look at a map and look at photographs, you think, uh, well, this hotel's here and this hotel's here and this hotel's there, and so if I want to have my character walk this hotel to that hotel it's going to take him like two minutes no if you've ever been to vegas that's not true it takes you an hour and a half to walk between the hotels it seems like because of they're such they're such massive in their scale that the distances get distorted and you think well let's walk from here down to there well you know 20 minutes later you're not down to there and it's like the place seems to be moving away from you uh, and that just has to do with scale. But if you've been there, you know that. But aside from that, what else can you do? Well, you can use, you know, Google Earth and the maps and stuff and Street View and all that stuff to get kind of a visual feel for a place. You can research the place as far as the types of bars and restaurants and, and, and things that are there. Don't forget the real estate section. You can go to the real estate section for the area that you're going to. It's a small town you've never been to. It's a big town you've never been to. Look at the places. Look where people live. Look at the condos and the houses and the and the uh, apartment uh, buildings. Look at all of these things, and then you can look inside. You can see inside the places and see what kind of decor and what kind of housing and what kind of places are there, what their relative value is, what your character could afford, where they might live, and you can put all this together. It's interesting. I wrote the... Uh, two books in the Royal Pain series, and I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, wow, you really nailed the Hamptons. You must spend a lot of time there. I've never been there in my life. But what did I do to do that? Well, first of all, I watched all the TV shows because it was based on that, and that gave me a great feel for the characters and the setting and the whole milieu of the Hamptons. That was that was a no-brainer, and that was pretty easy research. But then I did go to to, to the map, maps functions. I went to Google Earth and I looked at areas and I figured out where I wanted things to happen and how far apart they were and what they looked like. And, uh, you know, were they an area with a pond or a swamp or were they an area with expensive houses? Were they on the beach? Were they inland a little bit? And I could look at all that. And I did go and I looked inside the bars and the restaurants that existed there and allowed me to create others. I also went to the real estate section and I looked at how houses are and where people live. It allowed me to create some of those locations. But it was research 
online that really did a lot of that, plus watching the TV show, which I said was extremely helpful. So you don't necessarily have to travel to a place. Sometimes that's that's prohibitive. It's too far away. It's too expensive. It's on another continent, uh, and you know you're just not going to do that. But you can do a lot of research online, and you can find out a lot of it. Well, let's let me look at a couple of examples here of how setting becomes a character. Let's start with uh, one of the best books I've ever read, Black Cherry Blues by James Lee Burke, and it opens like this: Her hair is curly and gold on the pillow her skin white in the heat lightning that trembles beyond the pecan trees outside the bedroom window. The night is hot and breathless, the clouds painted like horsetails against the sky. A peal of thunder rumbles on the gulf like an apple rolling around in the bottom of a wooden barrel, and the first raindrops ping against the window fan. She sleeps on her side, and the sheet molds her thigh, the curve of her hip, her breast. In the flicker of the heat lightning, the sun freckles on her bare shoulder look like brown flaws in sculpted marble. Wow. Do you get a feel for that place? And yet you do not know how big the bed was she was in. You do not know the size of the room. You do not know how big the windows are. You don't know where this is actually located, but you know it's on the Gulf. You know it's down in Louisiana in the swamp country. You know there's a thunderstorm out over the Gulf, and you know the rain is starting in, in there. You've got, you've got a feel, and really, really bad things follow. Let's try this one. The village of Holcomb stands on a hot on the high wheat plains of western Kansas, a lonesome area that other Kansans call out there. Some 70 miles east of the Colorado border, the countryside with its hard blue skies and desert clear air has an atmosphere that is rather more far west than middle west. The local accent is barbed with a prairie twang a ranch hand nasalness, and the men, many of them, wear narrow frontier trousers, stetsons, and high-heeled boots with pointed toes. The land is flat, and the views are awesomely extensive. Horses, herds of cattle, and a white cluster of grain elevators rising as gracefully as Greek temples are visible long before a traveler reaches them. What do you think about this place? This place is flat, isolated, in the middle of nowhere. It's out there. Well, this is from In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. It's the opening paragraph. It sets the stage for the clutter murder. In Cold Blood was based on a real case, obviously, the murder of the clutters in, in Holcomb, Kansas, way back. It it was made into a, a wonderful movie, uh, and of course, this book revolutionized writing. It's what what he called faction, so it was a combination of fiction and fact. And uh, Capote is a brilliant writer, and this is obviously his crown jewel, I think. But this setting, in one paragraph, gives you a feeling for how flat the landscape is, how rural it is, how farm it is how the people are, that they're just good, basic, down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth people. And yet you know that something bad is rolling into town. And that's in the, can, the, the, the skin of, of uh, Perry Smith and Dick Hickok, and the rest of the story rolls on from there. Los Angeles, obviously, is a wonderful place to set stories. Uh, here's two different examples that kind of explain a little bit about Los Angeles. 
When I got home, I mixed a stiff one, stood by the open window in the living room, and sipped it, and listened to the groundswell of traffic on Laurel Canyon Boulevard, and looked at the glare of the big, angry city hanging over the shoulder of the hills through which the boulevard had been cut. Far off the banshee wail of police or fire sirens rose and fell, never very long completely silent. Twenty-four hours a day someone is running, someone else is trying to catch him. Out there in the night of a thousand crimes, people are dying, being maimed, cut by flying glass, crushed against steering wheels or under heavy tires. People are being beaten, robbed, strangled, raped, and murdered. People were hungry, sick, bored, desperate with loneliness or remorse or fear, anger, cruelty, feverish, shaken by sobs. A city no worse than others, a city rich and vigorous and full of pride, a city lost and beaten and full of emptiness. It all depends on where you sit and what your own private score is. I didn't have one. I didn't care. I finished the drink and went to bed. Well, this is from The Long Goodbye by the great Raymond Chandler. Do you get a feeling for Los Angeles, his Los Angeles? How he feels about the city, what he sees, what he thinks of the city from his point of view this is a city that, yeah, it's full of pride, and it's big, and it's progressive. Oh, yeah, but by the way, it is a nasty, dirty, dangerous place. And you get all of that right here. And so now you understand the underpinnings, the melu, the background, the broth, if you were, of the story that is to follow. It's to take place in this city that really is a dichotomy in many, many ways. Now, Los Angeles is not just all, you know... Hollywood and, and the beaches of Santa Monica, the, the, the uh, Marina del Rey with all the boats, uh, Beverly Hills with all the money. It, it's not all of that. It's got neighborhoods. It's got neighborhoods like every other city with uh, houses that are like everyone, someone would live in in the Midwest. <laughs> Don't they, out here they cost like five times as much. And so this is from the concrete blonde, Michael Connolly. The house in Silver Lake was dark, its windows as empty as a dead man's eyes. It was an old California craftsman with a full front porch and two dormer windows set in the long slope of the roof, but no light shone behind the glass, not even from above the doorway. Instead, the house cast a foreboding darkness about it that uh, instead the house cast a foreboding darkness about it that not even the glow from the street light could penetrate. A man could be standing there on the porch, and Bosch knew he probably wouldn't be able to see him. So this is a nice, cute little craftsman house in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles. Yeah, did you get that feeling that this was the, you know, where the Cleavers would live? No. Something bad is going on at this house. Something that has got Harry Bosch's attention. Something that has evil and danger written all over it. And this is all in just a few sentences that Michael Connolly has managed to create this feeling of foreboding. Something bad's going to happen. You know it. I mentioned earlier I'd talk a little bit about Café du Monde. Let me, I want to read you two excerpts, and I'll end this from my book, A-List, which is the second in my uh, Jake Longley uh, comedic thriller series. Jake has an odd take on things, but uh, 
let's just they're both they're both both these excerpts are from that book and I think it'll give you a feel for setting and obviously this is in New Orleans Cafe du Mans no place like it I never visited the Big Easy without at least one trip for their beignets and chicory coffee the ro the aroma of each hung thick beneath the green awning that covered the patio as did the din of conversation it was just after eight and the place was packed as usual but Nicole and I managed to snag a table along the railing. Out on the sidewalk, a street performer, a guy dressed like a clown, face paint and all, squeaked together balloon animals that he handed to one excited kid after another. Parents dropped bills into the small aluminum bucket near his feet. Free enterprise, baby. Now, if you've ever been to Café du Monde, and if you haven't and you go to New Orleans, you must, that's pretty much how it is. It has those aromas of coffee and the, and the beignets, which are just marvelous. And people always walk out of there covered with powdered sugar because there's no way to eat those things without uh, dusting yourself. But there are street performers. Uh, there are people that come there and, and, and do their thing. And, and I've, seen, I've seen this guy, this clown, making a... a balloon animals and all that. I've seen him there many times because I've been to New Orleans many times and it seems like he's there a lot. And then right across the street there's street artists. There's the, there's horses going up and down pulling the, the, the carriages that people take tours of the city. So there's a lot happening at Cafe Du Monde. I chose a few and I hope it gave you a feel for what this place is like. Also from A-List, Bourbon Street actually has three personalities depending on the time of day. The one most folks equate with it is nighttime, when it becomes one big street party. Stretching from Canal Street to Jackson Square, the neon blazes, the alcohol flows, and some of the best music in the world spills out of bar after bar, not to mention the strip clubs, one that caters to any and all persuasions. Short of murder, few things are off limits. Of course, the quarter sees more than its share of homicides, too. During the day, bourbon is an altogether different experience. For sure, you don't want to see it around sunrise. It smells of garbage and stale alcohol, the detritus of the previous night. Like a decaying corpse, refuse crews and street cleaners do yeoman's work to prep it for a new onslaught. But by noon, the trash is hauled away, the pavement dries from the hosing it has received, and the stench magically evaporates. People appear, street performers take up their stations, and music begins to crank up. Circle of life in the Big Easy. If you've been to New Orleans, um, <laughs> believe me, you don't want to get up early the next morning with a hangover and stagger out onto the street at 6 a.m. because it does. It smells like a garbage pit. There is stuff all in the gutters, you know, drunks. Drunks make messes, and the street crews are out there at work, hosing it down, cleaning it up, trying to freshen it up for the next day. And in the daytime, yeah, it's a fun, it's party, it's not, but the nighttime, it's insane. Um, it's probably the greatest bar, bar strip uh, in the country, and maybe in the world. There's nothing like Bourbon Street. So I hope that little passage gave the reader a feel for how it's not just one thing, it's a lot of things. And... It, it is the heart and soul of New Orleans. It explains so much about the party atmosphere there. So, in conclusion here, setting is a character. Setting is important to your story. Setting can be anywhere and in any time frame. 
But what you want to do more than anything else, and I hope you've gotten out of all of this, is pick out the telling details, the things that give the person a feel for what the setting is. Now, yes, you're going to describe some of it physically, but don't dwell on that. Do what you need to to kind of get the structure, the structure of the place, the size of the place, the time frame, the location, that kind of thing. But then more dig into what it feels like, what it smells like and tastes like and sounds like and get it, bring the other senses in. Now, you can do that either through the author's point of view as just simple narrative description and, and narrative take on it, or you can filter it through a character, which usually is the best way. And that's particularly true, as I mentioned earlier, if your character hasn't been there before, because they will see and feel things that a native will not. So, as always, I have, um, I have included uh, show notes on this, and you can find them uh, both on my website and my blog where they are posted and then I have to say this is a this is copyrighted uh, uh, episode from Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and I appreciate you listening and so until next time this is D.P. Lyle for Criminal Mischief, The Art and Science of Crime Fiction. <laughs>